Ring. Ring. Oh, well, I know that the postman always rings twice, and the podcast always rings thrice, so it must be time for They Made Another One. Hello, welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an often forgotten installment in a franchise. See if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. I don't know what the postman always rings twice means, and with me I've got Liam. In the words of this movie's tagline on IMDb, you never thought you would see on the screen as more as hot as this. <laughs> Am I right, fellas? Fuck <laughs> uh, the right. postman always rings twice. What the hell does that tagline mean? Sorry, let me just say, this, let say, say that again time. quick. Yeah. You never thought you would see on the screen as more as hot as this. <laughs> Dude, it's like, have you guys seen that picture of Garfield where, where John Harbuckle is leaning into the oven and it says, oh, yeah. and it says, why do they call it the oven when you oven? I can't even say When you <laughs> the picture says, "What do they call an oven when you oven the cold food oven? <laughs> <laughs> oven hot, eat the food." <laughs> it also has big. Uh, has anyone really been far, even as decided to use, even go want to do more like <laughs> energy? <laughs> I could barely say that. Oh my god! And Mitch, <laughs> in the words of Nick Papadakis, <laughs> "Hey, neon, neon." Hey. <laughs> I'm gonna try to read that without crying really quick. Why do they call it oven when you oven in the cold food? Of out hot, eat the food. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> a shout oh out Garfield. God. I am weeping in this room right now. You're getting choked up, dude. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of getting uh, choked up, this movie's pretty oh, aggressive, huh? Uh-huh. Um, um so, yeah. Mitch, I gotta ask you right away. Uh-huh. I don't wanna I don't wanna pull any punches here. I just wanna hit the ground running. Why did you pick this movie? Um well I'm a fan of the earlier adaptations and i'm a fan of the writing of james m kane and i like the people who star in this movie and i'm not crazy about the director bob raffleson david mamet the guy who wrote it i like some of the movies that he's written not crazy about the man but i like some of his movies and uh the postman always rings twice is just like one of the classic noirs of the of the 40s and uh it's had many adaptations and I'm familiar with the story and I like it. And so I, this is one I've been like meaning to get around to, but I've never seen, I have no strong attachment to this movie, but I'm a huge fan of a lot of the people who are in it. So I just kind of wanted to check it off the list. It's kind of one of those classic movie remakes and one of those um, 1980s neo-noirs that I've been meaning to cross off my list. Cause there was a huge resurgence in popularity in neo-noir in the late seventies and uh early 80s you have uh people robert mitchum recreating uh the big sleep and like 
uh, a few other movies like classic Philip Marlowe, Raymond Chandler novels. Uh, and then James M. Kane, the guy who wrote this, is just a classic of sort of pulp fiction writing. And so you have like several adaptations of that. And the, um, the Long Goodbye is another example of movies, a movie that came out during this time. And so I'm a Banger. fan of, the, of, of this like literary tradition that James M. Kane sort of formed with this sort of hard boiled novel that was uh, that were popular in the 30s about, you know, um, murderous wives that want to kill their husbands with or murderous husbands that want to kill their wives and sort of accident insurance policies. And so that was all at the center of uh, James M. Cain, big hard-boiled writer. So that's kind of why I wanted to check this out because um, it's been on my mind, but I had not uh, seen it. Yeah, this movie's great if you're like really into insurance policies. <laughs> this movie's going to drive you wild. If you're into Postman, it's not the movie for you. Significant letdown. There's one motorcycle cop, which isn't really like a mailman at all, but like somebody shows up to do a service at a building, which is sort of like what a postman would do. Um, but it nobody rings a goddamn thing in the whole picture. <laughs> And uh, that that was Roger Ebert's review. Actually, that was the whole thing. Um, <laughs> you, you know, you're joking. Zero stars out of four. No, the whole review just says nobody rings a goddamn thing in the whole picture, and it's like one and a half out of four. That's a pretty good. That's a good it, rating. I thought he gave it more than that. I thought he gave it like two or two and a half. Maybe? Yeah, I'm lying. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I have not read the review, <laughs> you've, but you've I'm ended lo- your two year streak, Corey. Of, Damn, of not fuck. telling lies. No, he he gave it a two and a half. Uh, and it's several paragraphs long. <laughs> huh. Two and a half's not bad on a four scale, but yeah. It's not great. Not great. He's basically just saying it's mid. Yeah. If Roger Ebert were alive today, they would have thumbs up, thumbs down, and they would also just call things mid. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, so Liam, I got to ask, uh, had you had any familiarity with like uh, this this movie or this story or like the original movie, anything like that? No, sir. No. Um, did you guys hear that? What Are was you that? haunted? <laughs> what do you mean, what was that? Somebody has to know what that was. <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't me. No, I do know what it was. I was just wondering if you guys heard it. I'm yeah, dog sitting. Oh, uh, I was going to say, your birds sound different, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm expanding the zoo. Um, no, I, <laughs> we, I ha- we expanded a zoo with Matt David. <laughs> I had not heard of this uh, until Mitch brought it up, however many months ago, and, and we put it on the list. And so I've known that Mitch wanted to do it, but didn't know what it was about. Didn't know, didn't know what the title meant. Didn't know who was in it. Didn't know um, what year any of the movies came out. I just learned it all from Mitch as we went along, and I just fired this uh, this one from the '80s tonight. Last night, I fired nice. it last night. Tonight hasn't happened yet. Maybe I'll fire it again tonight. You guys let me know if I should. The postman always rings twice, so it would yeah, make sense right. for you to do that. That's right. I'm going to get a lot of lot of mileage out of that phrase today, I think. Um, I like had heard the phrase, the postman always rings twice. I knew it was a movie. <laughs> I've, all, I've I been stumped by it since I was a young boy. <laughs> yeah, it's like that uh, It's like that uh, lasagna cat video about the... The comic strip with the pipe. The cat like, having your pipe. About, I've been thinking about this for my entire life. And uh, I've been listening to some Philly Glass uh, while I try to figure it out. But um, 
no like i didn't uh, i didn't ever check it out and i haven't seen a lot of those like classic 40s kind of noirs mm-hmm. and i certainly haven't seen many of the like a neo-noir revival that just sort of reinvented a lot of those i've seen more of those than i have of the ogs yeah but um yeah this was all kind of greek to me i <laughs> fuck i didn't mean that in that way but uh um, <laughs> do i look was... greek <laughs> mama mia here we go again that's what they say when the postman rings a second time yeah. um so I, I was just sort of gonna see what was going on i didn't even really clock who the cast was so like every time an actor arrived i was surprised they were there like in the opening credits i was like wow they really pulled out all the stops yeah and uh yeah i was i was curious but um you know down to see whatever we got so i'll do a quick i'm gonna do a quick cast and crew rundown i know mitch has this has the more scintillating details um so scintillating. just me, yeah it's a this is a sex film so i had to come up with a sex it word. is it wikipedia calls it an american neo-noir it's erotic, an erotic thriller, thriller. Film. yeah what is this our third erotic thriller well now we've seen more than that poison so. ivy 2 yeah. cat people this yeah. cat people there's others there are hang on i've I've definitely been aroused by others i mean one of oh, stranger uh, calls Hen- but... henry henry portrait of a serial killer <laughs> <No>. <laughs> i can't tell if mitch is doing a bit or not because I'm i haven't seen that bit. one <laughs> that movie is like appalling um this movie as mitch mentioned is directed by bob raffleson he really likes giving away prizes sexy um, name yeah dude i'm fucking bricked up shit <laughs> <laughs> Never heard that term before. Bricked up? <laughs> no, you haven't. You got Yeah, you got to get into it. All the kids are doing. <laughs> Has anyone ever heard that term? Or like, did you make it up? Yeah. Or is it no, a, I did oh, not okay. make it That's up. That's the term. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Uh, he, he directed the King of Marvin Gardens and Five Easy Pieces, and also uh, some episodes of the Monkeys TV show. <laughs> Another erotic thriller. Um, it's written by David Mamet, who has written a few very popular things like glengarry glenn ross uh the spanish prisoner house of games uh he also house of games is my favorite by him it's um, an extraordinary movie yeah it's based on the novel by james m kane as mitch mentioned <laughs> james i don't know, I don't know if you've ever read any if you've ever read any james m kane but he's double indemnity mildred pierce oh it's all the same guy <laughs> yeah he's he's been imitated like countless times i I think like the one of my favorite like sort of imitations of his work is the man who wasn't there by the cohen brothers i think it's from like 2002 james gandolfini and billy bob thornton yeah and uh francis mcdormand wonderful movie keep going i will uh but i will say first that double indemnity fucking rules (laughs) yeah it does uh the movie is edited by graham clifford graham clifford did not edit many movies he had seven credits on imdb for editing but some of the stuff that he's edited it makes me wonder why he stopped he edited don't look now the rocky horror picture show and the man who fell to earth whoa those are all i know also he directed uh season two episode five of twin peaks Season okay. two episode. I don't remember the episode specifically, but um, some people would tell you that some of those season two episodes are rough. So yeah, jur- so jury's rough. out as to whether I, I like I like the second season. But I do but, too. the The earlier ones in the season are better. Like when it's it gets, true. Yeah. After like I think it's like episode seven when the reveal yeah. happens, it gets uh-huh. kind of it gets kind of wacky. But I like the wacky. I do too. 
I'm, I also I just like the vibes. Peaks, I'm down Shit. to just like chill. It's like hanging out with your friends watching. Me too. Peaks, yeah. yeah. That, that's how I feel as well. I yeah. just, I, I thoroughly enjoy my time. I thought it was cool that um, they named Twin Peaks after the diner in this movie. Yeah. Twin Oaks. They just lifted that whole name. You thought you could switch one letter out and fool me? Mm-mm. One letter? That's not just, right. Just two one letters. letter? Maybe two? <laughs> no, it's it's like that German A-E letter, but it's like P-E, and you yeah. can put it on Oaks. <laughs> yeah, if you look closely, no one ever picks up on that in Twin Peaks, but it's true. <laughs> one of David Lynch's great mysteries. Um, the movie was shot by Sven Nykvist, who yeah. is probably Swedish, and uh, did a lot of big movies. Uh, Cries Berg, and Whispers. A lot of Bergen yeah. movies. Fanny think- and Alexander, Scenes from a Marriage. I think like six or yeah. seven, maybe eight. I don't know. A lot. Also, what's eating Gilbert Grape? Yeah, didn't know that. There you go. Also, the music. The, the music. He also he also did the Sacrifice by Tarkovsky. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty crazy. And then Michael Small did the music. Uh, Clute, Marathon Man, The Parallax Whoa. of You, Jaws: The Revenge, um, <laughs> that Child's Play movie from the seventies that we talked about. And did, also, did you, oh yeah, finish, yeah, you finish, Corey. Uh, Pumping Iron, that like Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary that made him a big star. He did the music for that. Whoa, there, there was an Arnold Schwarzenegger doc that made him a big star, like before he was in. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's Arnold Schwarzenegger and Lou Ferrigno competing to be Mr. Olympia or Mr. Universe or whatever. Dang Pumping it. Iron is is like an extraordinary documentary because yeah, Arnold was just like a big beefy bodybuilder boy. I knew that, but well, I didn't he, know. He I didn't know there was a documentary that bridged it. I just thought he went like right to acting. He had small roles in the seventies. Like he's in the long. He's goodbye. in the long goodbye. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Did you say Clue at the beginning, Corey, or did you say Clute? Clute. Oh, Clute. Yeah, I with thought James you said Bond. Clute, but I was like, I don't know what that word means. Yeah, with uh, Donald Sutherland and uh, Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda. Yeah. What is Clute? Is that title ever explained? Is that someone's name? It's the name of the of the Donald Sutherland's character, the last name. Oh, okay. But it's really a shitty name because it's really Jane Fonda's character's movie. Oh, actually, uh, Liam, I just found a, a good credit here. That's another title that sounds like a sentence. It is a lot of words. Who's eating Gilbert Grape? What's eating? But no. Oh, yeah, um, right. <laughs> Who is eating? That would be more <laughs> applicable to this movie. Who's eating Jessica Lange? Uh, gross. Um, the Unbearable Lightness of Being. Okay, that's a, that's a Kaufman movie. Yeah. Also, yeah. Uh, Sven Nykvist also shot that. Um, the cast. Uh, I will say the the cast I pulled from Wikipedia this time around because I was under something of a time crunch when I was putting my notes together, and uh, it is not as uh, thorough as the um, IMDb one. So consider this uh, a shorthand familiarity with the movie for the cast stuff. And I'm gonna, you know, do that classic bit I like to do where some of these people don't need introductions, so I'm not giving them to them, uh, like Jack Nicholson. Everybody knows who that is. He's the guy who eats Jessica Lange. We all know. Everybody knows that. And then also, obviously, uh, Jessica Lange is in the movie, as we've said about 600,000 times. I already. didn't know her, to be honest. Cape Fear. All 70s King Kong. She was, she was in Cape Fear? Yeah. The one we watched? Yes. You just watched that. You just saw her in Cape Fear. Dang. She was what? The mom? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was, she was still a looker in that one, too. Very uh, nice. I'm just looking at her uh, 
filmography right now and there was something in here that really confused me for a second <clears throat> and then i just realized that uh they also remade a streetcar named desire in like 1995 and it's oh, got yeah. jessica lang and alec baldwin <laughs> we should watch that i feel like that would be hilarious you know, God. I thought that that movie was called A Streetcar Named Desiree for almost all my life. <laughs> also, there's a, that Bunuel film, Illusion Arrives by Streetcar. Has nothing Illusion to do. Arrives by a Streetcar Named Desiree? I think that's what it's called. I don't know. Um, we've also got in this movie um, John Colicos, who plays Nick Papadakis, who has done an absolute boatload of TV and TV movies, but is also in The Changeling pretty cool uh michael lerner plays mr katz who's the that defense Barton lawyer think feeling god i spent a good 10 minutes trying to place where i knew him from and when i put it together i got so excited where did god, you I know him from Barton fink yeah. oh i was trying to place where i knew him from and i didn't i didn't get it i i uh, looked did you him see up, the actually. 1997 godzilla movie or maniac cop 2 neither neither Keep i'm guessing. an enormous fan of his what are some other movies that maybe Liam knows? Uh, let me think. I, oh because it's a big one. I was like, I know this man's face well, but I just couldn't place it. Was it Elf? It was Elf. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was Elf? That. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he's, he's a really imposing, uh, notable figure in Elf. Like, he stuck with me. Yeah, he's in the, he's in the candidate. Um, Barton Fink. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> what else? He's in Murder at the Cannes Film Festival. For real? Yeah, which we talked about last week. Cool. Nice. Um, I kind of want to watch Maniac Cop 2 now. I'm going to change my pick. It's your pick. Yeah, you got plenty of time. Uh, John P. Ryan plays Kennedy, who's like the prosecuting uh, lawyer. He is in The King of Marvin Gardens, which we talked about, Class of 1999. Uh, Death Wish for the Crackdown. I could pick that too. Corey, you gotta stop. You're giving me too many ideas. I can't decide. Yeah, the remake of Breathless from 1983. (laughs) That's another one that I want to do. On the show, you you can take that one, Mitch. I won't scoop you. Is that Richard Gere? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Like a lot of people say, it's better than the Godard. Yeah, a lot of people I follow on Twitter like it more. Yeah, Godard's kind of like. Interesting. More like breathful. Yeah. This is more like a breathy fart. Okay. I've heard I've heard nothing about this uh the remake. I knew that it existed, but I've never heard really anyone talk about it. So that is that's interesting. Uh we got Angelica Houston, who I think I was gonna do a no introduction for Angelica Houston. We all know who that is, right? Yeah. I recognize her face. I didn't I didn't know her name, but you know, we saw her in John Wick chapter three recently, so yeah, she's uh she's great. John Houston's daughter. Uh There's Adam's the family. Movies. There's the that's dead. The pole she's I great in the dead. Um Then we've got uh John Van Ness who plays the motorcycle cop. He was in a movie called Alligator 2: The Mutation. Oh, that one's on our list, baby. Yeah. yeah and then uh just to rattle through some more, William Trailer, Ron Flag, William Newman, Chuck Liddell. Wait, Chuck Liddell, like the UFC guy? I, I thought the same thing. <laughs> I don't even like UFC. It Why is the UFC guy. Really? Yeah. 
No. He would have been what? Like a child, right? Yeah, he's playing. He's, his character name is Boy Scout. Oh my God. <laughs> this isn't fair. And on his Wikipedia page, it doesn't even say actor. Formal, former mixed martial artist, not even former <laughs> actor. Give this man some credit for his work. Filmography. Let's go. Dude, his filmography is actually much more here than you would expect. Like and only about a third of them are himself. Wow. We need to start a Chuck Liddell podcast. I don't think we need to do that, actually. Also, um, I'm picking Kick-Ass 2 next week. We're going to talk about him again. Albert Henderson and Christopher Lloyd. That's everybody. Yeah, fuck that. This, Let's this go back to talking about talk Chuck about. Liddell. Fuck, it, fuck yeah, bro. Let's go talk about the ultimate fighter. Um, so, Mitch, tell us more about what this movie is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we were—I think I might have even said that the '40s movie is the original movie, but that's not true. Um, How could you fucking movie- do this? How could you come on this show? We trust you. You come on this show, you fucking lie right into the microphone. You say lies right into the microphone. I've never done that. I've never done that once. Nobody rewind the tape. Corey, it's never you happened. lied to us and earlier. I think what you need to do is apologize. <laughs> what the hell? Is, what the hell has gotten into you? So actually, like <laughs> three years earlier in 1943. A certain Italian count uh, made his first feature film. Oh my God! Is it? Is it? Who I think it is? Uh, Lucino Visconti. Fuck. And uh, you didn't an, know this? No, I knew this. Um, I've actually I've seen it, um, and it's an adaptation of the 1934 novel. Um, it has a fascinating production history. Um, Visconti got a copy of the book, I think, in 1936 from. Uh, Jean Renoir, the French film director in the 30s, Visconti worked for Renoir, making um, a few a few movies. Uh, I'm I'm not sure which particular one they were working on at the time, um, but the film came out in 1943, uh, and at that time, Italy was uh, still a fascist regime. And incidentally, Mussolini's son was in charge of the uh, Italian film industry. I think his name was uh, Vittorio? I don't remember. It starts with a V. Um, and uh, so he had like complete rule over like Italian films for like a lot of the 30s. And a lot of um, the great Italian directors had to like report to him and, and didn't like him at all. Um, and he like made a trip to Hollywood in the early thirties. And there's actually like a path, a uh, film reel of him visiting with the little rascals that you can watch. And it's, it's really surreal to see like the little rascals sitting on Mussolini's son's lap. Anyway, oh, I've seen the picture of that. Yeah. Um, so he made this in the forties and because it was like fairly subversive for the time, uh, because it dealt with, um, you know, infidelity and sort of some, a few anti-authoritarian idea ideas, um, both like the Catholic film censors, uh, kind of like hated it, had a few screenings in Northern Italy and both the church and the fascist authorities banned the film and, uh, destroyed, uh, most of it, but Visconti destroyed like all copies except Visconti kept one negative. And, uh, years later, um, it, also, I should say the film never had an international release because Visconti never got the rights from James M. Kane to make the movie. So 
he couldn't distribute it like abroad. So it died like a pretty quick death in the forties, but Visconti hit a copy in one of his uh, palazzos. And then finally in the seventies, when he was like at the height of his career, um, Metro golden mayor, uh, restored the negative and, uh, yeah, they, they, um, it had like a wider release in the U S and it gained quite a bit of critical attention and it's recognized as like a very strong work of early Italian neorealism. Um, and I think that this movie is definitely dripping with that sort of Italian neorealism influence as, as much as like any noir film sort of is, um, the film then like later in the forties, uh, in Hollywood, they, the film the book was adapted and they actually got the rights and that was made with uh lana lana turner and john garfield um we talked about lana turner in our douglas Sirk episode because there was that sort of murder scandal with where her daughter stabbed a abusive gangster she was dating at the time johnny stampanata anyway lana turner um is in that and she's like sensational in it that particular movie is directed by tay garnett um and it was like it was pretty successful but also very subversive for the time and recognized as like one of the most influential noirs um and so this movie comes out later uh the 80s version and it has a very different ending than the visconti version the book and the 46 version and when we get to the plot rundown um we can sort of talk about how the different adaptations end. My favorite adaptation is the one from 1946. Visconti's is very good, but uh, it's not my favorite. But it is a good work of Italian neorealism. And if you've ever seen his other great works of Italian neorealism, like Rocco and His Brothers or uh, La Terra Trema, um, you can sort of see how this was like a critical stepping stone or, or in, indeed the first stepping stone in his career to kind of get there. Um, yeah. Well, let's get to the casting. Uh, I know I did that already. Let's get to the plot. Right the casting now. crew always rings twice. Fuck. Do you want to? Well, yeah. Once you do that, we can actually dispel what that means. Because I once Mitch, yeah. I could not be happier than okay. to finally learn. I've spent twenty four years on this earth, and I've spent every waking moment of that time trying to discover what it means when the postman always rings twice the postman no always rings twice me. was the first words Corey ever heard and also the first words he ever spoke my parents really in horror not understanding how this possibly could have happened our mailman knocks once i don't know where did he learn this he's possessed by some sort of <laughs> returning postman so uh this movie is about um a guy a drifter i guess not a a guy who's trying not a postman um he's like trying to get the to hollywood he's trying to get to la and he's like hitchhiking along he's clearly just sort of swindling people um just trying to make a buck get some cash get in get out he christopher lloyd takes pity on this poor jack nicholson man and they end up at a diner and in that diner he ends up uh sort of like getting a crush on the diner operator's wife whose name is Cora who is uh cooking in the back and he uh he can't pay for his meal cuz he's trying to do like a bit of swindling and you know this thing leads to that thing the diner owner offers him a job there as like the mechanic at the gas station um 
the Jack Nicholson and Jessica Lange start like an immediate, very torrid love affair and they conspire to kill the diner owner husband so they can take, take it, I guess, or maybe leave to be completely honest with you. The reason they wanted to do this was never super clear to me um, in terms of like what the plan was once he was dead. Um, But so they go through great pains to kill him. It doesn't work until it does. And then uh, it becomes like an insurance claim, legal drama court movie for about 25 minutes. Um, And then a tragic ending emerges uh, showing the hubris of our heroes. Um, (laughs) It's about the gist of it. I guess There's, there's a lion at one point. Um, it's, I think it's the best I'm gonna do. It's it's very much like a it's more of a vibe thing than a plot thing. There's so, some there's some sexy times. This there's there's a neon sign. Mitch, I gotta know. I'm dying over here. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? What does it mean? Ah, uh, the numbers, so, Mason. What do they mean? The numbers, Mason. So it's like um, <laughs> I guess a metaphor for. Uh, delayed justice when james m Cain Mm -hmm. wrote it the idea was that the postman will always come back to ring a second time and so the idea is that like justice uh always sort of comes back to it's karma and ring yeah it's sort of there's like a karmic implication there that's that's what it means Corey, how do you feel underwhelmed <laughs> fair enough that was not worth 24 years <laughs> dude of blood that's, sweat and tears. <laughs> that's how i feel about that's how i feel like i'm likely to feel about the penguin joke you guys know about yeah. the penguin joke i know the penguin the joke oh gosh Corey, i'll tell it to you real quick i don't want to get too caught up there's this joke i heard when i was in like the ninth or tenth grade and it goes uh there's two penguins they're taking a shower together one penguin says to the other hey can you pass me the soap and the other penguin says what do i look like a typewriter that's a joke i don't get the joke there's some sort wait, of wait 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 what can you say what can you say that again oh, i don't want to slow us down too much i'll say it to you one more time two penguins are in a shower together one penguin penguin a says to penguin b can you pass the soap? Penguin B says to Penguin A, what do I look like? A typewriter? I don't get it. Um, <laughs> I don't get it either. No, and apparently there's, it's like a, I don't know, this this joke has a Wikipedia page, which I've never read. I have been trying to figure this out for- <laughs> The information up, exists. I, you can figure no, this out. No, but I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to, because I, I don't, I don't want to be underwhelmed like you, like you, Corey, and don't ruin this for me, Mitch, whatever you're about to say. Okay, I won't, I won't say it. Actually, I'm going to say it. No, no he won't. just told you not to. No, okay, no. I won't ruin it. I won't ruin it. But I think I know why this is that. But I won't I won't say it just for you. Right, 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 right. You can, And uh, I have... I had many people accompany me on this journey uh, throughout my life. And then they have all... They have all caved and looked this thing up. And um, some of them have told me... Uh, it's not worth your time. Don't think about it anymore. Others have said, uh, look it up. Others have said, you'll figure it out in due time. And they have toyed with me. And um, Wait, I'm trying to look this up, but I've been brought to a Wikipedia page with a different name. I bet you the joke has been retold in different 
in different ways. I would assume yeah, it's the there's same no thing penguins on this Wikipedia page. Yeah, yeah. What the fuck? Is this just a question? Okay, be very careful with your question, though. Do you think the point of the joke is to mean nothing? Have people presented this possibility to you? Yes. What do you make of that? Are you convinced it does have meaning? Well, I tell you what, Corey. In my 10 years of mulling this over... I've come up with some pretty good meanings, but yes, I am, I am 99% sure that, uh, it, it, it basically means nothing, but, um, okay. But that's, that could mean everything. Yeah. And I, so I just like, I've fought with myself a lot over, over the last couple of years in particular as to just like, should I just have the answer? And, and know for sure that it means nothing or should I let... I kind of want it to be the last thing I read before I die at this point. I think like at this point, you need to let the universe have a little mystery. Right? Right? Right, yeah. Why are we so deep in our fucking uh, the cat has your pipe mode today? <laughs> Why are we doing this? We don't normally record on Saturdays in the middle of the day. And I'm in a different city. I think that's it. City. Yeah. Oh, that's the right. Vibe. The energy's right. different. That's right. Anyway, I don't want to be the postman rings twice and read it and be like, I'm underwhelmed. I would rather have uh, the because they, it's because they lubricated typewriters with soap. Did they? Yeah. That's a good answer. That's a damn good answer. I'm satisfied with Why that. Why did you tell it? I like that. <laughs> I, you not to tell it. <laughs> I just wanted to like shit all over everything. Is that really it? Is that it? Uh, I have no idea, but I think I read that somewhere, so I'm just going to say that. Mitch, you can't toy with my fucking heart like this. You can't say, I'm telling him the answer, and then Liam goes, is it the answer? And you go, like, I don't know, and you like put your little fingers together like that fucking emoji. <laughs> I could have made that up, but I feel like that's right. I, th- what that's- do you mean? You can't. That doesn't mean anything. I might have made it up, or maybe I didn't. <laughs> I don't know. You, you, can, you can subconsciously make things up. Yeah, no, Mitch, I, I understand what you mean. And I have had brainstorming sessions with people where we're trying to figure out <laughs> stuff like that. And that is a good that is a good brainstorming idea. I like that. Dude. And so I don't I, I don't want to look up the joke and have it for sure mean nothing because then it's like good ideas like Mitch's, like they don't even matter. I don't want that either. And so. re- really quick, before we talk about the movie, I just want to say that I just Googled the phrase typewriter soap. Um, and the first thing that comes up is a picture of an Etsy store that has molded soap into the shape of a typewriter that you can buy oh. to like use in your shower. That's I so need stupid. that as a totem. I wouldn't use it to wash myself, but it, you, it no, you represents spin it. everything. You find out if you're in a dream or not. Like, you should go to the yes. zoo and just go to the zoo and just throw it into the penguin exhibit. Anyway, um, <laughs> and if they pick it up, you know that like the sun will rise in the south that day. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So this is they fun. take Bre- my humble offering. <laughs> it's uh, I'm happy that we've made it um over a hundred episodes. It's taken me this long to bring up the penguin joke. So it's always on You're my mind. You're enigma. You always have layers. You've you've always got something new. I feel like when I'm fresh out of ideas, you come in with some incredible Liam lore, and then we pick it back up. Just a lot haunting me, Corey. A lot in hey, my man. a lot from my past weighs heavy on me. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Um. Let's find out how much this movie weighs on you or doesn't. 
Mm. Uh, but but first, I'd like to ask Mitch because he was the birthday boy who got to pick the movie. Yeah, it's my um, birthday. Somebody give me a typewriter soap from Etsy. <laughs> ah! Um, what did you think of this gamble that you took here? Uh, I didn't really like that this movie very much. Um, there were things that I liked about it. Um, I liked how like period authentic it was even if it was kind of gross in like a lot of places and how like doomed and dismal and like just fucked up this relate it's just like this kind of like midwestern malaise like of like the dust bowl where like nothing is going on and like people are so fucking bored that they're just like i don't know like murdering their husbands and like making horrible passes and and um it's it's like this miserable sort of work of social realism where it's just like these people live in like in like ab- just in a kind of like poverty which um was was extremely widespread in the US I mean poverty's still everywhere today but but like this sort of depression era um poverty with like pipe dreams of of riches and immoral people like doing whatever they want it's it's it has the makings of a great sort of neo-realist um movie and i liked that a lot i loved the cinematography um i loved some of the performances i don't think jack nicholson's on the top of his game here um maybe i don't think he's necessarily supposed to i think he's just supposed to kind of be like a gross creep and he and not really like interesting or flamboyant. Like a lot of his performances are, I think he's supposed to be rather ordinary. The uh, Michael Lerner as cats, I think is extraordinary in this movie. And the, the guy who plays the lawyer in the forties film, I can't remember who it is, but I remember it being a really good performance. Uh, like that's like a really sort of a flamboyant role and the Coen brothers kind of uh, imitated it again really well, but beat by beat, this movie is inferior to every single other adaptation uh that i've seen and uh i just i don't think it's it's up to par and I, there's a lot of things that i that i found kind of uh like really gross and uh so especially in the first half of the film i think the film definitely reaches a high point near like the mid to late section uh, i think it falls apart in like the very end because they don't keep the original ending which in my opinion is great um but yeah uh liam what about you what were your thoughts on uh the postman and all of his ringing um or her ringing <laughs> i think it's uh or their ringing. a bit too much ringing for my liking you know ring me ring me once shame on me ring me twice shame on you um and i gotta say because of ring that me three times they made another one's about to start <laughs> ring me four times oven in the out oven on hot cool food oven um (laughs) this has got to be up there for me in terms of least favorite movies we've seen on the podcast like it would be right down at the bottom i was um i will i'll say let down i mean like i said i i didn't i didn't know anything about this movie going in but um the first scene in this movie the first shot is really cool in fact oh yeah um, 
with that with that really dark road it's not even clear that it's a road it's just like you see kind of a a telephone line in the distance and some and some far away lights and it's so dark and i'm kind of like wondering what i'm looking at and then when the car headlights come in and illuminate the area i realize that like the direction of the road that i assumed was there the direction that i pictured was like not at all the direction the road actually was going and so i just thought that was really cool and then it reveals a hitchhiker i love movies with hitchhikers i love road movies so knowing that there was a possibly a hitchhiker main character got me excited and then we get uh jack nicholson and christopher lloyd so cool to see christopher lloyd here especially like I'm thinking, man, he's going to go on to play an old dude just like a few years later. That's amazing. Um, he plays that old dude in Back to the Future so convincingly. Um, and he I actually like... sped up his his physical aging process. <laughs> dude, I would believe it because it, because <laughs> even now he he looks basically how he did as an old dude in Back to the Future. Like they had him totally pinned. Um, when we get Jack Nicholson at that little diner, I like the setting of the diner. Um, I, I really like the like small town idea where like everyone knows everyone and everyone is also a bit unhappy. And this dude from the outside like is cheese. coming in. <laughs> yeah. The dude from the outside is coming in and he just swindles them. And I like watching him swindle them because I kind of discovered as the scene went what he was doing. It wasn't clear to me at first. Um and so that was really cool. He dips his toast in his coffee. So I was like, I know there's something there's something up with this guy. He's some sort of dastardly figure. Um, and so I like I liked this first scene. And then Jessica Lang shows up, who I did not recognize from Cape Fear, but I liked her presence. I thought she was um, just a very very captivating. And and it turns out I liked her in Cape Fear too. So it makes sense. Um, but basically from that point on. From the after you know the opening sequence, I think this movie uh, just disappointed me over and over again as it went on. I think it is just so um, so devoid of like an in- interesting ideas, and the idea that it does have, if you were to like write it out, and it's like. Um, and I guess it's the reason it's been remade a bunch because the the crux of the idea there is cool. Where you've got an outsider coming in, he uh, gets in a in a tryst with um, the attractive younger wife of this dude who owns this diner. They plot to kill him. Uh, they try to get away with it. Um, all the while having this destructive relationship with each other. I think that's cool. But I think that this movie does not communicate that at all. I think their relationship is so without any tension, without any, um, I felt like without any romantic chemistry. I mean, I think the actual sex scenes are pretty titillating and I, I like that like that first one they have um where they really start getting into it i thought that was cool the, the but, knife on the table the yeah kind of like the yeah. what way is it going to go that's yeah. right yeah. but i think it's kind of le- gross too though it, it's very gross and the lead up to that scene like and and 
just like the way he's like pushing himself on her and she's not down but then she becomes down and then from that point on like her i didn't understand her character at all and the things she was saying and there are there are points when she's saying like really dramatic stuff like i knew that when i met you or um you're scum frank i knew that when i met you and that'll never change and i'm just wondering like so why are you even with him? And also we didn't actually get um, it communicated to us when you met him, what you thought about him. Like I know very little about these two people. It just, it felt like the kind of surface level uh, novel you would pick up at an airport. Um, And I kind of just got more irritated as it went on because I think the two of them as actors, Jessica Lange and Jack Nicholson are like are good actors, but the material and what they're doing is so for lack of a better word boring um and just like uninteresting. The movie really doesn't have any peaks and valleys in terms of character development and any of the any of the peaks and valleys it does have are like it's not a a gradual um, ascent or descent it's like something just immediately happens and i don't understand why it happens and so i would have liked this movie even more uh even more sounds like i liked it at all i would have liked this movie more if <laughs> if um the two leads were like worse actors which is really strange to say but like i was it, it felt really pretentious to me that like this movie is like seems to want to do as little as possible and we'll just assume that people will be into it because the lead actors are hot and good at acting and so if if they were like worse at acting i just think i would have been more engaged because their characters looks terrible in this movie (laughs) physically he looks physically yeah yeah, he's like he's not he's he's Keep not looking though, great. Sorry. Yeah, no, he's he was looking pretty haggard. Um, but I was like embarrassed for them that they were doing this material and that they were just like I felt like they were getting nothing out of it. Um, and so this and and then yeah, not not even to mention I I really think the the whole the way the relationship develops by like him raping her. Um, and. Uh, and her falling in love with him because of that and like this idea that uh sh- this really greasy skeevy rapey dude has like awakened something in her um i think is just really really troubling um and mm. i it, and it seems like the movie doesn't uh actually deal with that at all and so this movie reminded me of uh when harry met sally but like it didn't have any of the charming parts of when harry met sally and when harry met sally i don't know if i've said this on the podcast that's another movie i do not like at all i think it is really like misogynistic and i i hate the way um the two lead actors uh interact with each other um but it at least has like a few fun parts in it or a bit of like quirky charm that makes me that that makes it stick out in my head and i'm like okay i understand why this is liked i understand why this is iconic but this movie didn't have that at all it just felt like uh i guess what what people would call now like oscar bait or something um and that is all i was feeling this 
basically the entire way through the movie and never have I felt more justified in my feeling um, as when the ending of this movie happens. And and uh, <laughs> I thought when that happened, I was like, oh, yeah, OK, I feel totally vindicated uh, mm-hmm. and that this uh, my feelings are a- absolutely right, because there's no way that this ending can be explained as anything other than what I have uh, suspected this movie of being and what that is is just the, like it's a cheap ending yeah <laughs> is is just cheap cheesy w- w- really without much thought put behind it i think it's uh overwrought um self-indulgent uh yeah i want to hear what Corey is to say i mean you guys have kind of said it all right um uh, so I'm going to defer to somebody else's words, as I've done on occasion. Earlier, I made a joke about Roger Ebert's review of this movie. He gave um, it a 2.5. Fuck Roger he, Ebert. He did. I'm just going to read the, the opening of what his, uh, his uh, review actually says. The Postman Always Rings Twice is an absolutely superb mounting of a hollow and disappointing production. It shows a technical mastery of filmmaking. We are dazzled by the performances. Meh the atmosphere the mood of mounting violence but by the second hour of the film we've lost our bearings what is this movie saying about its characters what does it feel and believe Mm -hmm. about them why was it necessary to tell their stories um i don't agree with him on all of that but uh i agree on one thing uh disappointing uh this movie could barely keep my eyes on the screen man yeah me too this movie fuck like I'm I'm like I'll use coarser language than we have up to this point. I think this movie fucking sucks. Um Yeah, it's bad. It's so dull and it's so plodding and it's so like heavy-footed and it just doesn't go anywhere and it doesn't like establish any and look, I don't need this spoon-fed to me, but it's like it doesn't even establish like why they are in a relationship in the first place what pushes cora to like agree that this is the good thing for them to be trying to do um i feel like i'm not getting any chemistry between the leads i feel like i'm not interested in like the sex scenes or what they're bringing to like the narrative arc overall i feel like the movie's not interested. The movie gets bored halfway through and was like, what if we tried being a courtroom movie instead? And then it decides that wasn't a good idea. Like just nothing. Just, I'm not interested in this at all. I don't have profound thoughts. I don't have especially in depth thoughts. Um, I agree that like, it's very, you know, it's, it's really well shot and it looks great, but like in service of what man, you know, I agree. Sorry about this one, boys. I didn't realize it would be such a stinker. No, that's okay, dude. And I, um, I'm, uh, it's, it's cool to hear you also be down on it. Um, just because I, I tend to assume that like all these older movies with this, these, um, recognizable actors, like this is the sort of thing you love. And then even while I was watching this, I was, I was thinking I will be astounded if Mitch likes this. And if he does, um, I am just so not tuned in to what there is to to like about this mm-hmm. movie. Um, and and Corey sent me a message while he was watching it, and he said, uh, uh, "Like I don't want to." You said like you don't want to burst Mitch's bubble or something like that, Corey. But um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to because I had sent Liam a message that basically was just like I I had been watching it for like twenty five minutes and I was already complaining. 
and I didn't send it to the group chat on the off chance that you had watched it and liked it because I hadn't finished the movie, so I didn't know where it was going, so I didn't want to just see like I was being a dick. Yeah, well, and I, 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 want- I said to Corey that like um uh Mitch often surprises me with not liking these old movies he picks, and I was thinking that I will I will I will be surprised if Mitch likes this. Yeah, I mean I watched it about a week ago and I don't remember I I sent a message in the in the chat that was something to the effect of like sheesh and uh that was about the movie yes i about about a week ago i sent that and i actually stopped it around like the hour mark because it's a two it's like a two hour movie so i stopped it around the hour mark because i just like could not get into it and uh i watched like the entire second half last night and I enjoyed the second half a lot Wait, more. Wait, you took a week off? Yeah, I took a week off from the postman <laughs> always rings twice. Because um, I just you like rang twice. I really did not like the the first half at all. I think it's I think it's like dreadful. And I I think um like I know you probably aren't racing to see the one from the forties, but it's it's much better because like one of the, the beauties of 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 James M. James M. Cain's script is like the minutia and the details and how he he sort of like builds his murder stories like a like a fine clock and uh, the machinery needs to fit together perfectly for it to work and um, in this case uh, David Mamet's treatment he he's sort of reductive and he he ups like the the sex and the erotic stuff and just sort of cuts away that those plotting features that that Kane was so known for like if you've seen double indemnity like there's a procedural quality where the film goes okay you want to kill your spouse like how are you going to do it and get away with it it's like the the perfect murder and they they play that up and it's sort of um they want to kill her husband and uh Barbara Stanwyck's husband and um you know, like they play it up like beat by beat. How would they do it? And meanwhile, there's an insurance agent sort of trying to to solve the crime. Or, um, and th- that is very much the case in the 1946 film. And in, in this movie, they cut that all away in, in favor of like sex. And, and in doing so, they lose a lot of like the motivations about the characters. And he cut the ending too, where he's just got that sort of Bonnie and Clyde ending, where oh they my God, die on the, so, si- die on the so side of the road. Um, in the original movie, what happens, and in the book, and in Visconti's adaptation, what happens is he he does that, and then the attorney who suspects him of, um, in fact, this movie shouldn't even be called "The Postman Always Rings Twice" because he doesn't ring twice, like there's not the second reckoning of justice. I suppose there is in a karmic way because she dies. But in the, in the original version, when she dies, there's, there's like 20 minutes of movie after that. And essentially what happens is, is that the attorney who's the, the crown who's going after him, um, pretty much convicts him for killing wrongly. So for killing Cora and, um, he gets executed for, a crime he doesn't commit. And I feel like that is much more sort of compelling. Yeah, it's like and, you did commit a murder and you yes, got away with it, but, but not this not one away with this and thing that you didn't do. Not this one. And I feel like an ending like that is at like the very ethos of like what makes noir great. Cause noir is about like flawed characters who are doing something they shouldn't with like uh, self-serving goals in mind or lust- sticky, lustful goals in mind. 
and did it, you have to use the word sticky? Sorry, ahead of lustful, and, gooey, uh, and, and gooey, gushy, selfish goal, and it it always ends horribly, and that that was a partially a result of like the production code at the time because you couldn't have the bad guys get away, but um, also. It's just like the the tradition of this literature, and I feel like it doesn't go to those depths, and and you don't see the characters go to those depths, and so this movie just fucking sucks. It has it has nothing <laughs> that I like about the source material, and I think it's oversexed, and it's just it's it's not good on paper. I should really like this movie because I like the cinematographer. I'm okay about with the director. I've seen some of his work. I mean, he also has like lots of gross sort of um takes with the like which relate to like sexuality um in like his other movies uh that i, Wait, I and, and, can, can i actually just cut in quick just sorry with, like, i'm rambling go ahead no no, no 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 it's okay but like um something that i feel like is worth mentioning is like i'm not opposed to a movie that's got a bunch of like kind of aggressive kind of slimy sex shit in it me neither like, if, it, if it serves like, something yeah yeah like i'm okay with this movie having a bunch of like very forward jack nicholson like chuck you around sex that she seems to gradually get more into maybe the, the movie's not very clear which kind of gives it a bit of a grimy feeling of course but um yeah the biggest problem as with everything is like they've ratcheted that up so high but uh, again the question just circles back to like and in service of what yeah why like why are we seeing this because like we understand that it's like at least partially the catalyst for the relationship and like i get it but like okay but like it's as if they've substituted like the 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 like eroticism and the passion for like actual character development yeah so like they're like see look at how like ravenously in love they are with each other in this fucked up relationship like the fucking joker baby i don't think they are i think they're just bored yeah maybe and like you know and maybe the argument is like you know that makes three of us maybe (laughs) maybe the argument is like you know in this terrible dust bowl nightmare um sometimes you got so bored that you murdered your husband like i'm being a little reductive but like i can see like if you want to make the argument that like shit was so bad that it pushed good people to do bad things just out of like a desire to feel something anything like you can make that argument if you'd like but again it needs to relate to like who I understand these characters to be. And Mm -hmm. they don't tell you anything about anybody. And like, again, I don't want it spoon fed to me, but I need to know something about who these people are other than she doesn't really like her husband. And he's a a creepy, grimy man. Like there's nothing else you can give me at all. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it, it uh it's so disappointing it's an enormous disappointment because i like i like everybody who worked on this movie for the most part like maybe not like the kind of people they were um or are but um the talent there and the work they've produced and there are performances that i think are good in here or, or or um moments that are good but i feel like the second half of the film, um, the first half of the film moves impossibly slow, and the second half of the film moves too quickly. Yeah, well, and it doesn't transition well. Like that scene in the train station or the bus station or whatever it is, 
where he like gambles and then she leaves and then like yeah. we kind of re- re- reset parameters. It's like, could this not have just moved the story forward? Because again, it's not telling us anything about the either of them other than like he's who he is and she is reluctant to maybe get stuck with that even though it might be better than the relationship that she's currently in so it's just but it's this thing where it's like yeah the opening is just like abysmally slow but then when we get to the court stuff like that goes so rapidly and sets up like these these lawyers and this tension and insurance and all this and it's just like hold on like take your time what's mm-hmm. happening yeah take, who are who is everybody like and there is a there is a way in which like that could be done effectively like the the dizzying sort of aspects of the legal world and i think the original yeah, but it does doesn't reflect better. them it's it's no. like dizzying for the viewer only yeah it's just lawyers yelling at each other and uh yeah, I feel like Jessica Lange in this movie would be a nightmare client to defend, to defend with how how guilty she acts in court. Um, yeah, yeah. How do you guys at, think this can nose. happen? Like with all this talent, <laughs> I'm 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 being a hundred percent serious. Like, how can these people make a movie like this? Like what? what got lost in the process or like maybe it wasn't there to begin with but how how could this how is it that all three of us dislike this movie who and it has all these names that that uh are have renowned to them and uh it's based on this property that that uh i totally believe has has other great versions you know mitch you can attest to that and i i do believe that this could be done well and so how is it that this could have happened I mean, I think with anything like this, like two things come to mind where it's like one, names don't guarantee quality, right? Like any everybody who's in this has probably made some shit that sucks. Like just sort of Oh, they have for sure. Sometimes. I know this to be true after watching this movie. Right. But I, I think with with something like this where there's previous versions and it's sort of like a reinventing of an existing film or uh book or whatever. Um, I think the failures conceptualization and then how that's moved forward, like somewhere along the way, like the director producers and the writer conceived of this story in a particular way that leans more toward like this sort of like physicality and like eroticism at the expense of maybe a deeper personalization thought. And then I think if that's the crux of how you want to tell the story, like you made the mistake right at the beginning and I think this is just uh, like it's it's it is the correct execution of a flawed premise, uh, flawed for us anyway because we didn't like it. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Um, my thought might be that, except for in the case of David Mamet, because this is his first movie, maybe a lot of it is, is just it? like, is it? I think I don't. So. Th- I don't think so. He got started in the seventies. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I might. Be, I could be wrong, but I'll look it up. Yeah, like I know. I know he was writing plays and stuff, but I think oh, it he was wrote his plays first. in the seventies. It might be his first film. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on, I'm checking. Uh, he wrote a TV movie in 1979 called A Life in the Theater. Ah, uh, okay. Cool. Um, yeah, but 
so maybe he was an established playwright and and that would apply even more to what i'm about to say is that like (laughs) maybe all these people were just too uh they were just kind of resting on their laurels for this one and they the studio just like got them all together to make this movie just to make it to make money and uh they can just you know they don't have to put a whole lot of extra work into it because it is based on something that already exists and so you just kind of brush it up a little bit for for modern day uh rewrite the ending to make it uh less taxing you can end the movie earlier <laughs> uh because <laughs> because people like jack nicholson and so when he cries and when jessica lang is looking dead people will believe it and then uh maybe they all just got a bit too complacent for this one yeah maybe i've i, I feel like it's just like people threw money at this movie because it looked like a done deal but yeah that's where you're wrong. And and that sort of stuff like does happen a lot nowadays, you know? Um, and so uh, I think this is just like a sobering reminder that not everything that is like old is good. And uh, not everything that has uh, these old famous actors in it is good as well. Like I could, I can very much understand like back in the eighties when this came out, uh, I bet you it also got forgotten pretty quickly you know like not yeah. everything has that staying power i mean it, it it came with like a bunch of sort of steamy 80s erotic neon noir like think of like films like body heat uh which again follows that james way m- better movie way better this. movie but it follows that james m Kane formula um or a, a blood simple the coen brothers first movie i think that's the 80s could be the 90s um it's the 80s it's the 80s yeah uh again y- you've got way better movies that deal with like similar subject matter uh i think this movie had like old school cachet it was a very recognizable name um it's i think it's been adapted to the stage it's it's uh the 40s film was massively influential but this movie is uh doesn't have anything going for it so yeah yep i i honestly um like at a loss. I don't really want to dig into it that deeply. I was just kind of over it, honestly. I'm at a loss for things to say. I mean, Jack throwing cards at his hat. What a miserable existence. Um, I don't know. I mean, neon. I mean, there, there's some great sort of homages to old noir in the cinematography, like uh, Jessica Lang running towards the uh, the car, uh, flailing her arms in the middle of the road. That's like a total. Uh, reference to Kiss Me Deadly, which is a an interesting noir from the fifties. Um, but like by and large, like I, I'm sorry I made you guys watch this. <laughs> That's all right. It's kind of man. I, we we've all made our our mistakes, and I'm I'm down to have this as like a talking point when people are like. I'm not Yo. like mad that I saw it. It just I just didn't like it very much. Yeah. Um, just, sorry. Go ahead. I just want to. I just want to uh, reinforce one time, one more time, how how bad the ending is. Oh the ending gosh. is like if you can look up one scene for this movie, you look up the ending. It's so funny. Yeah, and like just know that any amount of context. I mean, like that the hour and fifty nine that comes before it will not make the scene any more effective. It it plays exactly as it looks in isolation. They're driving in a car together. Uh, Jack Nicholson, you know, kind of swerves. Um, the car goes over, 
Uh, well, she Jessica Lang flies, flies out. Yeah, over. Jessica Lang flies out the door. Um, he finds her on the side of the street. She doesn't look particularly dead. I mean, she's lying there with her eyes closed, but it's not. It's not bloody, really. Or uh, um, that might have made it hit a bit more. But no, like it's just uh, she's just lying there, looking unconscious. But we are to gleam from his his sobs and his uh quick investigation of her that she's dead and so he just cries off camera for the most part um like he he couldn't even be arsed to actually uh acted all that all that heavily like slc punk the original this is not i mean i i told you guys that slc punk has one of the most affecting crying scenes i've ever seen in my life when matthew lillard finds his friend dead and jack nicholson cannot hold a candle to matthew lillard here he just slinks off out of the camera's frame leaves his hat um and you just hear him crying off camera as as jessica lang is lying there doing her best dead performance and even i don't buy that and uh and then the credits hit and i was I was baffled. I thought this has got to be parody. This is like the most, um, it is the most like obvious trite way to get emotions from moviegoers. You just kill one of your main characters. Like so many movies do this, right? And it's just, it's like this movie fucking My Girl did. And even My Girl (laughs) has, has like the, uh, the, the courage and the thought to like deal with maybe what that means for the characters. And so it sounds like Mitch that the the other movie definitely does that. I really like the idea of him being blamed for the death and being executed. And as long as this movie was, and as much as I didn't like it, if it had been another five, 10 minutes and they kept going with that ending and something more happened to Jack Nicholson's character, I promise you, I would be able to say, well, I I thought the ending was kind of cool, but here it is just, absolutely embarrassing she just dies and he cries off camera and and that's it and the 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 way she dies the car crash itself it's barely even a crash um it's a mild accident and uh it's just like shot without any intensity at all and it is just a perfect encapsulation of like this movie feeling so bland and lazy and uh um on the nose it is it is absolutely ridiculous it has got to be one of the worst endings i have ever seen yeah, in my it's life it's it, it was hilarious i mean it was my favorite part of the movie to be honest because i just couldn't believe what i was watching really your favorite part you didn't you didn't like cats michael lerner as the lawyer i think he's great i liked seeing him yeah i liked his performance but he's uh the best part of this movie um i i just i loved seeing this movie fall on its face and just like show mm-hmm. its ass that much in the in the ending and i and i also i uh i thought the intensity of that first sex scene um was actually pretty bold and cool like she is humping the shit out of him but like i said i did i did not think the movie actually handled it in an interesting way mm. and um it didn't actually mean anything and also that is the best sex scene in the movie it never it never really goes further than that or or makes any of the sex we see worth it so um it still didn't actually mean much yeah it's it's a real shame. Um, I wanted to like this. I wanted this to be fun. But uh, 
there are i think like in the supporting roles there's there are good performances like i was saying cats and the guy who plays nick papadakis is wonderful uh he's like the few moments of like respite from this movie's like self-seriousness uh and he's great at this sort of naive husband um i don't know who's i, I don't know i thought that he's a he's a kind of a fun performance but uh everything else can I think it sucks. Like I feel like, I feel like somebody had to be like drunk the entire time. I don't know if it was Jack or somebody else. It feels like a performance that Jack Nicholson phoned in. I wouldn't be surprised if he was like in the bag on this one. Um, yeah, just not for me. I have like really nothing else to say. Uh, I have uh, one more thing to say. It's more of a question. Mm. Uh, Liam, what do you want us to watch instead next week? <laughs> Instead, I uh, wish I could turn back time, Corey. No, I don't. I, I am I am glad to have seen this. This is a fun talk. Song. And uh, you hear um, the song? No, what's the song? Turn back time yeah, to I the good could, old days. Yeah. 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 Um, I know. I am glad we watched this. If um, I could of in out the food. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but let's see. Let's see how it goes next week. Um, I'll be curious to hear what you guys think of this movie. I'm going to pick. It is a postman always rings twice sort of situation where it is a remake of a remake from the early mid uh, 20th century, you know, like the 40s and 50s and stuff. Um, oh wow. So I want to I want to give Mitch a bit more to chew on next week and sort <laughs> of talk about some of these original movies and see how they compare to this modern day movie. I want to watch with you guys. House of Wax, 2005. Oh, let's fucking go. I love the original. <laughs> and uh, and let me say, an extra reason I'm picking this right now, because you guys did mention a lot of stuff that would be a lot of fun to pick. It's never an easy decision, because there's always so much to do. But um, House of Wax, 2005, came out on May 7th of uh, 2005. And so the week that our House of Wax episode comes out, May 6, 2005. So the week that our episode came out, it will be kind of like 17 years to the week where if you... Uh, It'll be to the day, won't it? Uh, well, what day is it today? no, our, our episode will come out on like the 11th, May 11th. Oh, no, it is. The, yeah, shit. I was looking at the wrong month on my calendar. Yeah. But, you know, picture this. If you were to have gone, see, gone to see House of Wax 2005 in May 6th, 2005 um i'm gonna see how many times i can say 2005 in this hypothetical scenario and then on may 11th 2005 uh maybe a little podcast episode came out and and you would uh you would listen to it that week so our episode will come out may 11th 2022 um sort of like a little house of wax 2005 anniversary and i'm excited to hear what you guys think of this i'm excited to hear Mitch, tell us about the originals because despite me having seen this 2005 one before, I have not seen any of these other House of Wax movies. Maybe I'll check them out before we do the episode, but no guarantees because I know Mitch will have our back. The Vincent Price one's great. Yeah, I don't know why, but when you were giving that spiel, Liam, I earnestly thought that you were going to say we're watching the Tom Cruise mummy movie because <laughs> everything you said as preamble was also correct for that yep. so I was like, or Brandon yeah. Fraser or we're gonna right. hit it with the phrase yeah, yeah. I'm, sh- I'm sure there's a few movies it could apply to but no the mummy will have to be someone else's pick i must yep. admit and i i know i know mitch has thought about it a few times before so i don't want to scoop him 
All right, so we're going to wax it up. Yeah. Wax on, wax off. How many jokes like that are we going to get? You'll have to tune in next week to find out. But uh, yeah, so that's... Uh, I hope this doesn't bum out the middle of your week if you're listening and we're just all like, fuck this movie. Um, Especially after that breakfast update. Also, listeners, let me know if you like the breakfast updates because I'm getting insecure. We're getting good feedback. No, I want you to keep doing them, please. Would you do them just for me? Just for you? Yeah, and then I'll post them on the internet for everybody else, but you just do it with me in mind and then I'll show it to everybody. (laughs) Mitch's only fans, just for Corey. (laughs) He is my only fan, apparently. <laughs> That's right. You gotta do one <laughs> no, for House no, of no. Wax 2005, Mitch. It's too perfect. The people like the breakfast update. Trust me. Mm. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, on that cursed note, um, do you have anything you'd like to plug, whether it's the breakfast update or something else? Uh, no. The neon. You didn't even get up to leave that time. You just died. He just stationary died. That's a new one. Roll credits. That song for the Breakfast Club starts playing. Don't you? <laughs> How do we end this podcast with a freeze frame? Once we figure that out, we'll make. I think no, like like uh, I have to take one syllable of something somebody's saying and extend it. Just like repeat that like tenth of a second. Oh, oh my gosh! No, that <laughs> would be cursed. I might that do would that, be actually. so ca- Just imagine that, dude. Yeah. For yeah, another yeah, yeah, 30 yeah. seconds. Oh, But my. artificially made. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are you leaving? Do you have anything you want to shout out, plug, discuss? Well, uh, discuss. Yeah, you know what? Let me tell you some more about the postman always rings twice. No. That's the only thing, that's the only thing we can't discuss anymore. The laws don't allow it. <laughs> Let me tell you some more about this penguin joke. <laughs> no, you gotta you gotta go to our uh, Patreon for that to get all this extra Liam thoughts. There's um, so much to monetize. I know, right? Why aren't we monetizing any of it? Because people have to be willing to pay. I think that's true. Mm. We'll get there. Sad fact of life. Um, <laughs> you guys can uh, go to my Twitter account or my Letterboxd account. You know. Occasionally, there's some movie stuff in either of those places. It's free for now, but if you guys like it too much, maybe I'll start charging a fee. Um, if you want to pay Liam, you can listen to his band, and Spotify will pay them four cents. <laughs> if that's true, Spotify, where are you at? You know, my bassist told me the <laughs> other day he was like, uh, "According to my tally, we should have made like sixteen fifty from Spotify." I said, sweet, that's enough for like a platter of nachos. But so far, I have not seen any cash. We're at Bandcamp, though. I have made money from Bandcamp. Yeah, actually, yeah, buy it on Bandcamp. Why don't we put this podcast on Bandcamp, yo? That's buy where the money is. On We're going to press this to 15 vinyl records. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get three episodes. I, I, I did talk about putting episodes of the podcast on cassette. Oh, my gosh. What would you do? Like what? What are the three that are just most made for cassette? Just like oh, they have to be like the, they'd have to be just the grimiest, grainiest, wildest episodes. Oh man! Okay, let me actually think about this for a second. I know we're wrapping up, but this is a really good question. The grimiest, um, a Texas Chainsaw one, maybe next gen. I think. I mean, next gen because we just gen. we loved that movie, and so that will just blow people away. We have to sell yeah. that tape at like uh, thrift flea markets. Yeah, I think people would love that. 
I think I would love that. Man, I've been gone um, for so long and you guys are still going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing a good bit though. Don't worry. Mitch, what episode that you were on would you like to have on cassette tape? I don't know. I don't really listen to the episodes that much. <laughs> Sometimes I go back and listen to like a few of them if I think I did a good job. But mm-hmm. um, no, I don't know. I have a recency bias. I'd probably tell you like Cape Fear or something, but I don't even know if that's like my best. I don't know. I don't know. I, feel I think like, maybe I feel like the I think, Asian Cody Banks too was a real heater. We, it, that yeah. has to be reserved for um, video that, now. Yeah, the video now does. <laughs> that's a you video have to put now. That in one of those toothbrushes that make music. Oh gosh. Um, Bram Stoker's Dracula is like a sleeper cassette candidate. I think. That's good. Yeah, that one would be like sold. Um, Twin P- Firewalk with me. Oh, yeah. That was a heavy episode. Too. Yeah, I wasn't on yeah. that one. What about Ace Ventura Pet Detective, Mitch? You were uh, on that one. Uh, How's that for cassette? I think I lost my cool in that one. I got too angry. Oh, Liam. Yeah. Liam. Parent Trap 3. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> dude, that would be like the mo- That would fit because um, growing up at my house, my parents had a lot of cassettes just left over from like the 70s, and <laughs> 60s and stuff. And basically all of them, I was like, who the fuck is this musician? I've never heard of this person in my life. That's why Parent Trap 3 would be perfect. People would yeah, be like, think- what the heck is this? That's the one for sure. And like even <laughs> just the movie, it's just so forgettable. And so people would listen to it and be like, yep, that's a relic. What, of... you don't remember Hawk getting into a bar fight and their dad having to save I do. I, re- I remember Hawk at the dinner table. That's what sticks with me even more. Um, But yeah, I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd. Graham the Malo. Uh, you can see what I rate. The Postman always rings twice if you'd like. Uh, Cool. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price. You can listen to... Me talk about all sorts of other topics at on different podcasts like MK PodQuest with our friend Neil, where I talk about various Mortal Kombat ephemera like the Mortal Kombat Conquest TV show and comic books and novels and bad uh, soft drinks and all kinds of things. Also, if you want to hear me talk about Formula One, uh, you can listen to Strat 2. Strat like the word strategy 2, like the number after one. The That's Strat always Calum. comes twice. The, the Strat always comes twice. <laughs> The strat always <laughs> unloads two times. <laughs> Lusty. Um, that's at strat2f1. And uh, thank you all once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, which is all one word, and on Letterboxd at TMAO. What am I even laughing at? You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google. Stop thinking about Garfield, Corey. I'm not. <laughs> Uh, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher Breaker, and everything else as they made another one. You can reach us via email at you can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and not something about the postman always drinks twice. Um our uh thumbnail art is done by Jay Dickinson, our good pal. He can find it on Instagram at Jade Sketches. Throw that out of the way. We will catch you here next week for a very waxy home on They Made Another One.